You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome to the latest edition of the Testudo Times Weekly Podcast. I'm Lila Bromberg, joined by Cody Wilcox. It's been a little bit. We took a bit of a break for the holidays, but we are back. What's going on, Cody? Everything's going all right. It's a little, we're doing something a little different today, you know. She's in Chevy Chase. I'm in Frederick. So we're doing a little Skype call to uh, get the podcast going. Unfortunately, Matt's not here with us today, but we're going to keep things rolling. And, you know, it's uh, December 31st. So when this comes out, it'll be the new year. So happy new year, everybody. Uh, but I and guess we can just start. I will be 23. Yes, my birthday is tomorrow. Uh, big 2-3, I, as I joked with you, the LeBron year. But, so you're going yeah, with LeBron year instead of Jordan year. Yeah, I am. Yeah, those millennials, you know. <laughs> All right, so let's get into it. Maryland basketball just wrapped up its non-conference schedule um, against Bryant. You know, I, that was a big game for Terps to just have the departure of the Mitchell Twins, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, but, you know, you have the debut of Troy Mariel. You know, obviously, with a non-conference game like this, it's not, you know, something that you can take a lot away from. Um, but I think, you know, just the de- debut of him and how far along he was really stood out to me. When you're sitting there watching, you know, the 7-2 freshman who hasn't played in two years, uh, what were your kind of just impressions of how he looked off the bat? I thought it was awesome to see him play basketball just with the with the joy he played with and just we didn't get to see all of it but his unique skill set was really it's just so cool to see and and obviously we're sitting I'm sitting right next to you Lila and you see when he checks in the game and the ovation that he gets from the crowd it was just a different energy that I don't know if the Terps have been in since maybe Illinois, that it was just a different type of atmosphere. And I was really happy for him, you know, to see and read about everything he's gone through in the past couple of years that uh, it was, it was exciting. And I'm, I'm excited to see how he builds on that and how he does in conference play with bigger guys as well. You mentioned the joy that he had, and I think that's something that they lost, you know, with Bruno Fernando. Bruno is a guy that was always on the court, was, you know, a smile off his face, always the biggest energy, and the crowd loved that. Um, it got his teammates hyped up, and, you know, yes, you had some other guys kind of fill that void uh, this year, but I think that Chol just brings a different joy to the game that's really important, you know, especially if a team has, you know, had two losses, I think, to have his debut um, and them all be really excited for him is a really, you know, good thing and something that can really re-energize the team. Um, and like you mentioned, he hadn't really played in two years. And so I was expecting him to look really, really bad. You know, he was one of the top players in his class before he got hurt. But Turgeon, you know, kept on saying all year that, you know, he wasn't sure how he was going to look. It was going to take a lot of time for him to get back. But, I mean, he finished with, you know, six points, um, you know, five rebounds. He had a block and assist. Um, in, in about 14 minutes, shooting three for four from the floor. Um, and I, I, I was really impressed. It was not really what I expected. And if you can continue on that trajectory, I think that could be really helpful for Maryland. 
And I was surprised to that he played as much as he did because I think you and I predicted like eight to ten minutes uh, pregame, something like that. Yeah. And um, but I. I really agree with what you said about him bringing a new joy to the game because, you know, Eric Ayala had talked about, um, you know, leading up to the Bryant game, how much that they were just happy to be back playing basketball, you know, and it, that the joy is back. And I, I wonder if Chol has something to do with that because Chol wasn't able to play the game for two years, you know, and some of the guys may have been thinking like, you know, we really have it good. We should, you know, go out and enjoy ourselves rather than thinking about the number seven or the number 13 or now the number 15 on their back. And I think he might bring a new uh, level of excitement and, like I said, joy to the team. Yeah, for sure. And one thing that I've talked a little bit about with people that um, I'm really intrigued by is, you know, if he does end up being able to play more, like we thought that Joshua Tomajic or uh, Ricky Linda were kind of going to take up those minutes. That was what Turgeon had hinted at. Um, and then Chol ends up playing more minutes than them both. I personally like that a bit more. I think that having Chol allows Jalen Smith to go at the four. You know, that's the position that he's been trained in his whole life, to my knowledge, um, that he would play at the next level and that I think he really thrives in. I mean, I think we've seen this year that you know, against higher competition, Jalen Smith has struggled a little bit in the paint. You know, he's on that weight, but he hasn't been as aggressive against these bigger, um, you know, teams, more competitive teams. And so, you know, he's a guy who can really space the floor. He's been he's worked on his three point shot. He, you know, has a wide array of shots, and he's not really his whole life. He's never really trained to be that guy that is bully in the paint. And so, having Chol you know, and a guy who's 7-2 means that, you know, Jalen can move to that four position at times in a position that he really thrives at a lot more. And I think that helps the team a lot because one thing that I just thought really was not working whatsoever in, in those losses was just their play in the paint. And I think a lot of that was just Jalen Smith not being aggressive enough. I mean, obviously, decision-making plays a factor, but um, I think that he just looked so much better when he's playing that four spot. And I I do think that Ricky Lindo Jr. and uh, Joshua Tamai will be part of the rotation of some sort. I think Ricky will obviously get more minutes than uh, Joshua. But uh, the thing is, is the reason I think that is because Turgeon was still struggling to find like a lineup, I think, like a steady going lineup. And now that the Mitchell twins are gone, I think that kind of throws like a wrench in his plans of some sort. And so he has to go back to the basics in the sense where who can I depend on in conference play? Like, I think Joshua's kind of a veteran. Ricky can always provide good minutes, I think, as far as like rebounding and hustle and things like that. And I think Chol will get it too. But my thing with Chol is they they weren't going to like throw him to the wolves, I don't think, originally and, and stuff like that. But I want to see his strength in Big Ten play, like you said, we talk about Jalen's strength, but Chol's coming off two years where he can play basketball, and, you know, he's still trying to get right. in flow and get his endurance up, so I'm kind of curious to see how he does, you know, against Indiana this upcoming weekend and, and stuff like that, and I think it'll progress. It might not be as great as Maryland fans want to see it originally, you know, after he Childers debuted, like, great, a great debut, but I think it'll eventually come, but it's going to take some time. 
Yeah, I mean, we do have to remember that it was Bryant. You know, it's it's not really that competitive of a team. Um, so, you know, obviously the level of competition, the level of physicality, all steps out big can play. I also really want to see, I mean, when players talk about him, they almost talk about him like as if he's kind of this like unicorn type player um, in that he's a 7'2 dude who, you know, was known for being able to shoot with three in high school, for known for being able to run up and down the court and, you know, do all these things that you wouldn't expect someone his size to be able to do. And so I think that'll be interesting to see. But one person that I was really impressed with also in that game that I think is a good option um, to have down low, uh, you know, with Donta Scott. He finished with nine points, seven rebounds, all of which were on the offensive end. And I think he's also a guy that kind of brings that physicality. He's been, you know, on and off some games. Um, but I think, you know, he's now getting used to the swing of things. And I'm really excited to see what he can do in conference play. Yeah, we were sitting there in the second half, and he grabbed three offensive rebounds in one possession by himself. And when Turgeon yeah. talked about the physicality, you know, early in the season, he's like, oh, those freshmen, they, you know, they really bring the physicality. I think he was obviously talking about, you know, Dante Scott, but also the Mitchell twins. And now that the Mitchell twins are not there, Dante is going to have to be another player that steps up for them. And and he's gotten a lot of experience in non-conference play, you know? He's he's played some big minutes, and that'll benefit him in conference play. And I think you'll start to see, you know, Dante play a little bit better now that he has – you know, some games under him and, and things like that. And I remember we talked to him after the Illinois game and he had played really well. And he was, he was really excited about that environment because that was his first like big 10 play environment. And so, like I said, I think yeah. he's going to be ready for the moment. I don't think he's going to shy away. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he was the, you know, number four and maybe Turgeon went with Jalen to start the game at the five and then, you know, made some adjustments because, like you said, he does have that physicality. We'll see how that transfers over to conference play, though. Yeah, I think it'll depend on, like, the lineup of the other team and what they're doing, whether, you know, you're going to have Daryl in that spot or him or what you're going to do in terms of Eric coming off the bench or not. Um, one thing I also took away from that game, it seemed like Anthony Cowan was getting back to himself. I mean – in the two losses, he was committing a ton of turnovers, just seemed really rushed um, and kind of frantic. But, you know, he didn't have a single turnover um, in this past game, finished with, um, you know, 19 points, uh, four assists. And it just seemed like he was getting back to himself a little bit. Yeah, the thing is, is I remember telling you after the game, like, how, how does Anthony have 19 points? Like, it – he just lets the game come to him. That's when he's at his best. Now, the past two games with Penn State and Seton Hall, I mean, we were there. I, at least I was at Penn State with you, but you were at Seton Hall, but I was still at home, you know, watching the game. And I'm just like, he's just forcing things. He's going back to, you know, his old yeah. ways and where the team gets down, things get frantic, he forces a shot. And, and I think in previous years, he might have had to do that. But at this year, you know, senior point guard, I, I – I think it's that's like I said that's when he's at its best. But there may be a little bit, tiny bit more growing pains going on with the team at the moment as far as their offense because I know that's been a struggle for them big time. But I think you know 
that's not only I said that's when he's at his best, but that's when the team's at his best because he's distributing the ball. He had four assists and like you said, no turnovers. But I mean, Aaron Wiggins also had 15. Jalen Smith had another double double, and like we said, Dante Scott contributed nine. So it, I, I'm excited to see, and I'm looking forward to how he translates this new play into Big Ten because that's really when it's going to matter the most. And you talked about those offensive struggles. I mean, we saw in this game, we saw the best three point percentage of the year and 50% going seven for 14. And then shooting 47.3 from the floor. Do you think maybe turning the corner with that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, um, it, it's to be seen, obviously. But I think this break, I think it kind of did them well in more than one area. You know, I think that it'll do them well in offense because maybe they were – Turner said they got – he gave them six days off. And during the season, you know, it can be grueling. You know, you're doing practice every day, media, uh, games, things like that, on top of what he was saying, like schoolwork and finals at the time. But I think getting away, maybe going home to see some family, spending some time away from basketball kind of, you know, helps helps their mind get right. And I think that can have a big impact on things. And, you know, you kind of forget stuff like, oh, I'm struggling from three or, you know, it gives you a little break. And I think mentally that'll help. And I, I think next game, you know, going into the new year, if you shoot 50% from the three, I think not only going into the new year, but going into conference play with that, I think that's got to be a huge confidence booster, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, with shooting, it's a lot of it is a mental thing. And so I think when you have so many games and, you know, if just shots aren't really falling the way you want them to, I think it's great that they're able to kind of have some time to step back, step away, um, and just have that. And like you said, I think having that good shooting percentage will give them confidence and give those shooters confidence going into break because Turgeon had said after seeing Hall that that was something that he thought was missing that the team wasn't, you know, confident right now. And so maybe that break kind of allowed them to get uh, some of that back um, and we've talked about it a little, we've hinted at it a little bit, you know, the Mitchell twins um, left the program. Um, it was called a mutual decision. There's been kind of some stuff going back and forth on Twitter with their mom saying it wasn't mutual. We don't really know the full story besides stuff from, you know, just sources here and there. They decided to enter the transfer portal. Um, you know, so then you're losing I don't think they were extremely impressive in their time they were here, but I think um, Makai did have some flashes there. How do you think that affects his teams in, in terms of depth? Yeah, so I'm, IMS, um, Inside Maryland Sports, is reporting that, you know, it wasn't – Turgeon was prepared to hand out a suspension to one or both twins um, following their transfer. But I – you know, it, it does take a shot at the depth. Uh, I can't um, can't deny that. They they showed signs, like you said, which some were really good. And then, for example, as you pointed out to me, some were really bad, like the Penn State game. And the thing is, is the good stuff is they, they have very good footwork in the paint, which I really liked. You know, you could see that they were able to make some moves and things and – they would grab a rebound and they would take 
one dribble and you could they would just shoot the ball right up to Anthony Cowan at half court and you know they would be off and running. So I do think their size and physicality is going to be missed. Luckily for the Terps, they do have a couple other bodies. Uh, we'll see how uh, how good those are, but it definitely takes a hit because I think they were a little bit more physical and ready to play than maybe Joshua or Ricky can be at times, but, you know, I think they had a little bit more weight on Ricky. So I think they had, you know, and, and, and some, yeah. And, and, and some strength to hang around with some boys. I'm, I, I wish we could have seen the Mitchell twins and big 10 play. Cause I really wanted to see them go against some, some big boys down low, you know, and, and I'm kind of bummed that we won't get to see them in a Maryland Jersey uh, against big 10 foes. And you have to wonder then what that does for a team's, you know, mentality, regardless of whatever rumors and different things circulating were true or not true. I mean, just having two guys leave a team um, obviously will have an effect. The team talked about how, you know, they're just refocusing, getting back to their love of basketball. You know, obviously we can never know what goes on behind closed doors, but if it is some of the things that people are saying, um, it'll be interesting to see even how it affects, like, how everyone works as a team um, now not having them there. Yeah, especially going into the new year and going into conference play. Like I said, we'll see how their their mental aspect has changed. Um, but now, now, like you said, other players have to step up. Dante Scott is a, as well and, and all that. But I don't know. In, in their first game without the Twins, were you – did anything stand out? I mean, I know it's Bryant, and I know the Terps out-rebound him like 48-16, to 16, but did was anything standing out based on the fact that the Twins were not there? Yeah, I think the rebounding margin you mentioned, I mean, was huge if Turgeon said he had never had a team, even against a bad team, have a rebounding margin like that. 48-16 you know, is um, pretty impressive, and I wasn't, you know, I think – even when the Mitchell twins weren't scoring, they were able to contribute a lot in terms of rebounding. Um, so I think that was a pleasant surprise with that. You know, you get 10 rebounds from Jalen, nine from Aaron, seven from Daryl, um, you know, and then Chol contributing five. Um, so I think that was a really, and Dalta Scott was seven. Um, so I think that was a really good to see. Um, I think just in general from that game, one thing that still really concerns me is just the turnovers, you know. Um, I think that was a big issue I had with the middle twins was how often they turned over the ball, but you still have Maryland with 16 turnovers in that game. Um, mm-hmm. It seemed like at the beginning of the year this wasn't going to be an issue, um, that the team had finally kind of turned a corner in terms of it's definitely been an issue recently. Um, so that's one thing I'm really looking to watch going in is they can clean glances where they've really been able to limit them and play really well um, in terms of ball control and uh, decision making. So I, I'm intrigued to see what happens there. Yeah, and I think it's hard to see how much the Mitchell Twins are missed uh, from Bryant um, because, you know, Bryant wasn't the best rebounding team. I think Indiana might give yeah. us a better sense uh, of where we stand or where the Terps stand without, uh, you know, the twins and such. And, and I think we can also see a more of the rotation Turgeon wants to go with, as I previously mentioned, because 
I, I really think he's just going to depend on Ricky and Josh more. I just don't think he just played them all at once because I think he wanted to get Joel's feet a little bit more wet at the time and, and kind of get him in game shape a little bit more and get his feeling back, things like that. But I think those guys actually will play a big part in the rotation going forward, and I'm predicting that you'll see that against Indiana. Do you have any other good takeaway that non-conference schedule? And just, you know, we're kind of through that first part of the season. Um, the only the only takeaways I had from it is I, I predicted, and I said this on this podcast before, that I thought the hardest part of the schedule was going to be the Notre Dame, Illinois, Penn State, Seton Hall part. And although I, I put a lot of faith into Notre Dame, um, they Terps obviously won that pretty easily. Um, Illinois, they, if we're being honest, Terps shouldn't have won that game. I I don't think they should have won bit, and I think they really got lucky, and obviously they deserved it. They, they played hard, and Anthony hit that huge shot. But, and then obviously they go to Penn State, and they just don't look themselves same with Seton Hall, but we both predicted at the beginning of the year that, you know, Maryland was only going to have two losses in non-conference play. Did you, when you were, when you put that down in the uh, preseason poll that our, um, our fellow reporter, Andy Costa, uh, helped us fill out, were you, were you predicting Penn State, Seton Hall, or did you just, what was your thought process going through that? Yeah, I mean, I think I honestly did. I know that Penn State has always been a really tough building for them to play in, um, and that Seton Hall was a team that would give them trouble. But, like, at the time I was doing that, I thought that was before the season and before Seton Hall had had, like, the number of losses they had and before they lost, you know, two of their best players. Um, I think Miles Cowell is back now, but, you know, he was out versus Maryland, and then they were without uh, their other second-leading scorer, whose name I cannot pronounce. I'm not going Me either. Um. Me either. <laughs> I think those were the ones I was predicting, but I think with Seton Hall, one was different than I expected just because so many of the circumstances changed with that. Um, I think that – I think I'm a little less optimistic than I was at the beginning of the season. Um, just, like, I've seen a lot of flashes of potential, like Marquette, that um, was really better than I've ever seen a Maryland team play. It was just clicking. And there were some flashes with some games. Um, but I think those losses, while they were road games and they're, you know, other factors, I think those were a bit concerning for me. Um, the turnover issues are a bit concerning for me. Um, and also, I think the Big Ten looks a lot deeper than I expected. Um, I think going into the year, I did not expect it to be you know, the deepest conference, at least compared to where it has been in recent years. Um, and I don't know, I think maybe some of that is just me being dumb and getting wrapped up in polls and things like that. Um, it, and a lot of players left, I mean, but I didn't expect Ohio State to be this good. Um, you know, they, they just lost to West Virginia and Maryland will play them in a few games. And that's, I'm really, really looking forward to that game. They're at number five now. Um, you have Michigan ahead of the Terps now um, in, in terms of rankings. And 
that was the team that I always was confused as to why they weren't in the rankings. I was like, okay, you have a new coach, but it's still the same team. Um, you know, Michigan State doesn't seem as good as we thought they would be. Um, but then, you know, now you have Penn State, Iowa in the rankings, Purdue and Indiana are receiving votes. Um, you know, Illinois looked good. So I think that you're looking at a bit deeper of a conference than you expected. And so um, I think that Big Ten play will be more of a challenge than I expected initially. I mean, obviously, it's always going to be tough, but it just seems like uh, at least a lot of the teams for me are exceeding my expectations uh, so far. Um, you know, especially with Indiana, too. It's a team that I didn't really expect to be good this year. Um, and now they're 11 and 2, about to come to the college park. Um, I think these votes, next games they? in this next slate. Yeah, they're receiving votes. Um, you know, so Maryland has a has a tough slate um, about to come up, and I think we're really, really going to learn a lot about this team over you know the next few games. If I'm looking at the schedule um, right now, I mean, you have Indiana coming up on Saturday. You know, their team that received votes has two losses. They recently um, lost to Arkansas. And I think they would have been ranked had they not lost that game. Um, they lost OT, not OT. Um, I'm just looking at one other game. They lost that game. It was a close one, 71 to 64. Um, and so I still think they're a really good team, though. I mean, only two losses. Their loss was to Arkansas. And then they had a loss to Wisconsin, which was interesting. Um, that was kind of part of that whole weird uh, Big Ten thing at the beginning of the year where you know, teams were all losing on the road, but that was like a big loss. It was 84 to 64. Um, so that's interesting to see, but I mean, they have some good wins on their schedule. I mean, they're able to beat Florida state 80 to 64. Um, actually, no, maybe they don't have the best wins on their schedule. I mean, cause that was their only really dominant win. And then, you know, they got a three point win over UConn 96 to 90 over Nebraska in overtime only beat Notre Dame by two points but I do think this is a team and a team that they might underestimate a little bit and then um I mean not underestimate but like I think that maybe we are a little bit and then you've got you know January 7th versus Ohio State then January 10th against Iowa at Iowa then at Wisconsin Uh, that's a tough slate coming up over the next five games yeah, especially the, you know, two back-to-back road games with Iowa and Wisconsin, you know, only only four days apart. But I will say about the non-conference schedule real quick, I thought, because I asked you about, you know, your thought process and things, I thought they were going to lose to Harvard. I will admit that. Uh, and I thought they were going to lose to... They almost did. I know, and I thought they were going to lose one of the four games between Notre Dame, Illinois, Penn State, and Seton Hall. I didn't know which one, but that was my thought process. As far as conference play goes, you know, we'll see. I I had I predicted them to lose to um, or I predicted them to have six losses in conference play, which Turf fans may not like to hear, but you know they still like you said Indiana, Ohio State's coming up, Iowa, Wisconsin. I don't see the Terps getting through those four games without at least one loss, in my opinion. But, and then, you know, later on, it's possible to, I, I wouldn't doubt those two Iowa and Wisconsin games. Those things, 
I, that just that's seems true. that seems just real tough. Uh, and you know, then they go obviously to Michigan State later in the year, things like that. But this next four game stretch is going to be very interesting. And I'm actually now that you mentioned it, now that I'm looking at it, I'm really excited to see how they play. And it's interesting, like they play Indiana the fourth, play Iowa the tenth, and then they play both those teams within the same month. So. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what changes between those two games, how they play. Um, And let's get into those games. Let's talk about Indiana and Ohio State, especially a little bit, because those are the two we have coming up. I first have to ask, because we had a little bit of debate about this with Oakland with their warm-ups, with the the pinstripe, with the stripes. Are you a fan of Indiana's warm-ups, you know, with the old school throwback look? 100%. They're some of the best warm-ups in college basketball. I love them. They're like old school, you know. I think Oakland's were similar. They were just the black and white, right? Not they weren't red and white. Yeah, I didn't like. Okay, I will. I don't love Indiana's, but like I can accept them. But like Oakland's were just bad. I love it. I think it looks great, <laughs> and it's always something I love to see whenever Indiana is, you know, playing Maryland or whenever they're playing because I I really think they just they're. Some of the best warm-ups in college basketball. Really? Yes. Next to a few other teams, you know. I really like Dukes. North Carolina's up there. Uh, it always seen Maryland's aren't bad. I like Maryland's because they, they got, like, the shooting shirt and they got, like, a hood on it. I, I like that. They're, they're pretty nice. But just, just, like, the throwback look with the Indianas, is it, I really, really like. Right. And so as we look – at this Indiana team, um, you know, right now you've got four players averaging um, over 10 points a game. And then, you know, you don't have anyone averaging double digit in terms of rebounding. But, I mean, one guy that really stands out to me is uh, Trace uh, Jackson Davis. Um, you know, he's a six nine forward. He's just a freshman, um, but he's leading this team in scoring and rebounding currently. Um you know, he's 245, so he's he's got some weight to him. Um, you know, he's currently – I mean, this kid has been impressive. He's shooting 66.4% from the floor right now. Um, he is not a three-point shooter, has not attempted any threes. He's having 8.7 rebounds a game, 15.4 points per game. Um, and so that's the one I'm really interested to watch down low. Um, and – and then you have, uh, you know, Devontae Green, who is a senior guard, you know, an experienced player at 6'3", um, you know, who's been around. And, you know, he's averaging 12.5 uh, points per game. He uh, is also, you know, a guy who's shooting really well from the floor, 43.1. Um, he's their, their second-best three-point shooter, shooting 38.6. And then the other two leading scorers you have, you know, Dustin Smith, at 12.2 points per game and 5.5 rebounds. Um, he's a 6'7 forward. Um, he's a junior. And then uh, Aljami Durham is averaging 11.4 points per game, 2.3 rebounds, uh, you know, shooting 48% from the floor. Justin Smith, who I mentioned, is shooting 52% from the floor. So, you know, you're seeing a lot of guys on this team. They're not the best three-point shooting team um, currently shooting you know, 31.4 on the season, but they're very solid from, you know, in the paint and, and inside. Um, so I think that'll be interesting to watch, especially with everything that we've, we've talked about. 
uh, with, you know, the front court depth of Maryland. So how, how much Indiana basketball have you watched this year, Lila? So I have not really had Washburn this year, but I mean, Indiana is just an opponent. It's obviously very familiar to Maryland. You don't have as many of the same players from past years. Um, it's kind of a different look in a way. Um, you know, last year, just the big thing was Romeo Langford. Um, you don't have him anymore. You don't have Juwan Morgan anymore. And those were their two best players last year. Um, and those were mm-hmm. players that I was always used to seeing when Maryland played them that, you know, always had a big impact. So I'm interested to see this one freshman I mentioned in, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, who is looking really, really good um, and poised so far. And I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he plays getting in the play. I mean, cause, you know, as a freshman to be averaging, you know, 15.4 points, 8.7 rebounds and shooting 66.4% from the floor. I mean, and he started every single game for them. I mean, that that's really impressive to me. Well, my thing is, is I was gonna ask, like, who do you who do you put on Trace Jackson Davis? Like, I don't I don't know his game at the moment, but you know he's six nine, and I don't know who they will start next to him. But I kind of wonder, you know, my thinking right now is, do you put Dante Scott on him right now? You know, with his physicality and see how he does. Obviously, it's it's still left to be determined and there's a lot of other factors that come into play maybe even Jalen sticks on him at, at some point you don't know I don't I don't know his game but I'm curious to see what Turgeon's defensive you know game plan is going up against this this talented freshman yeah and you know as you mentioned Turgeon's game plan I think one interesting thing he said is um that after they had that break for Christmas and everything you know, they spent one day on Bryant leading up to the game, but before that, they were focused already on Indiana and Ohio State and coming up with uh, plans for Big Ten play. I mean, I, this is really when things start to get serious, and and I hope to see that there's really um, a lot of game planning going into, you know, all of this. Um, but, yeah, I think with what you said of who would guard him, I mean, you know, usually you would have Gerald Morsell on the best player, but him being at 6'5 and this guy being at 6'9, I, I think that's too much of a high discrepancy there. I like the idea that you said of having Donta Scott on him. Um, I think that that's a really good option to have. Um, I, yeah, I, I would say Donta Scott. I mean, obviously, like in the paint, depending on what they're doing, you might, you know, see Jalen Smith on him. You might even see Chol on him a little bit. Um, so I think that'll be really interesting to see. But like I mentioned, this is just a different team than – Maryland is used to seeing you know you don't have those two leading guys from last year and some of the guys from the past as well um so I'm interested to see that I mean if you look at their starting lineup that they've been doing if you just look at the last one from you know Indiana it it looks like um that really you know the guy I mentioned um Trace Jackson Davis was basically one of the biggest guys that they were playing I mean you have him and then you have Joey Brunk who's been starting, who's a 6'11", 245-pound redshirt junior. So I think you would have then, you know, Chole or Jalen on. I I don't think Chole's going to start, but, I mean, you'd have Jalen on him um, just because of, you know, size. And then I would put Donta Scott on on this other guy. But I really just want to see Maryland go back to where they're switching a ton of defenses, incorporating ball screens. Um, I want – to see more of that creativity we saw towards the beginning of the season and on offense too. Like there's one play that I said, I said to you during 
last game, I think they basically were able to draw all the defender, like three or four defenders, like around area. And then uh, I forget who was driving in, but he whipped it out to Cowan um, for a yeah, three. Daryl. And I said, you they need to be running like that. You know, I think this team does really well when they can play in and out of the paint um, and, you know, have those plans for isolation. You know, that's how you're going to increase the shooting percentage. That's how you're going to get those good looks. And so I want to see more of that creativity on offense. I want to see, you know, more versatility and uh, switching on defenses like we saw towards the beginning of the year. Yeah, and I think with uh, Trace Jackson Davis, just one more thing I'll add on him is, you know, we you we both said Dante Scott put him on, but I think you could also throw in, you know, a, a change of pace with Ricky Lindo Jr. You know, he's about the same size, maybe not the same weight, but I think he plays with enough, you know, hustle and physicality that he could give him a different look defensively. But as far as defenses, yeah, I want to I want to see them switch it up a little bit more. It kind of seems like it's been something they got away from which is interesting. And, you know, now that they have the depth or the Turgeon was saying earlier this season, they have the depth, you know, to do so and the talent to do so. I wonder if the Mitchell twins leaving has anything to do with that. I don't think it will, but it's only to be seen. And I would like, like you said, for them to go against Indiana, it'd be nice to see them go down in a man, a man, make a bucket, go into a press, back to like a 2-3 or something, just just because it keeps your opponent on their toes, you know, and and they never really know what to expect. If you're in man-to-man 24-7, yeah, so well they're – Exactly, but if you're in man-to-man 24-7, they're, they're, they're going to know what they're going to run on offense and, and everything. And since they've gone away from that, I wonder if they just pick that back up right in conference play. Right, and I mentioned the whole ball screen thing. I think that was my favorite part of the Marquette game, just how well they used it on defense. Um, and I want to see them use it and play as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you on that one. So then, looking at Ohio State, that's another eleven and two team. So Maryland is about to face two teams with just you know two losses on their slate. Um, with Ohio State, we've seen a much, much tougher schedule. They also just lost their most recent game. They lost to West Virginia, surprisingly, 67 to 59. But, I mean, they've had some quality wins. They beat Kentucky 71 to 65. They beat Penn State 106 to 74, keeping them in game. Um, they demolished North Carolina 74 to 49. But I think one of their most impressive games for me was against Villanova, winning that 51 back. Uh, on November 13th. And I think the reason that that game stood out to me was Villanova, I think, was, like, ranked 10th at the time. Villanova is such a well-coached team. I mean, you've talked how much you like Jay Wright. Uh, he's a great coach. Um, Best dressed coach in you know, college best. basketball. You know that? <laughs> I had read something that he gets his players fitted for suits or something like that. That would be awesome. I, when I they get the campus. That, but that's, that's great. <laughs> but, like, the thing that stood out to me from that game, right, is at the beginning of the college basketball season, you have so many teams that are struggling out of the gate. Ohio State came out for that game, and they were just on fire to start. Like, there was no slowing them down. They looked really, really good that past game. I mean, just what do you think of Ohio State in their schedule? Because their team, I mean, you and I talked at times. I was, I was upset with just Maryland's non-conference schedule. And I think that, you know, Ohio State is a team that's been really tested. Um, their other loss was to Minnesota, 84 to 71 away again, as part of that whole weird big 10 thing to start. But I mean, this is just a team to me that has already been through the ringer a little bit and 
been able to get out, you know, pretty scotch free. You know, the losses that they've had are not ones that works are not like the really, really tough teams. They've been able to show that they can beat those tough teams. Yeah, they've they've definitely played some tough competition early on. And I can honestly say that they have surprised me big time. You know, last year they finished 20 and 15. Did not expect them to be this good this early. But, I mean, conference play is another animal, as we've said. I do think, I still think they probably win the conference. They, And I think they'll probably get the number one seed in the conference tournament. Now, I know it's early and there's still the majority of the schedule to be played. Very but, early. <laughs> yes. But they're just playing so well right now i it, it it's hard to disagree with that and like you said the win over north carolina was big time and i know north carolina is not the greatest at the moment but it was in chapel hill penn state was at home which i'm not taking anything away from that uh at all villanova is also home as well but you know kentucky one was also very big as well i i i haven't seen him play this much that much but on paper, they look very good, and I'm, like you said earlier, I'm I'm looking forward to their matchup against the Terps because they've been playing so well, and the Terps have had such a roller coaster season that I want to see how they go against one another. And I believe it's in College Park, right? It is, guys. Terp fans, like, if you've not been to a game yet this season, like, this is the game to go to. I've been raving about this game for a while now. Like, I'm very excited. Um. I think this is going to be a really, really good game. Um, I, I, I'm hoping, you know, students are on break, um, but I'm hoping you get back some energy in College Park for these next two games. You mentioned having it against Bryant, but even so, it wasn't a huge crowd. Um, so, I mean, Big Ten play is starting. Go to this Ohio State game. It's going to be a good one. And and you look at this Ohio State team, I mean, I've just and, – and they're a team that I have watched a decent amount. Um, I try to watch them whenever I can, and I've been just very, very impressed. Um, I really have. You know, right now, they just look so good. I mean, they're scoring margin right now. I mean, they're outscoring opponents by an average of 90.5 points a game. Like, that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Um, they're shooting 40.3% from behind the arc, 479 from the floor. Um they're averaging 15.3 assists per game. This is just a team that I've been so, so impressed by. Um, and I'm really, really excited to see what happens there. I mean, their team, though, that also I think one thing that doesn't get mentioned is they have struggled a little bit with turnovers as well. I think even more so than Maryland. They're averaging 13.8 turnovers per game. So that's a game where I really want to see Maryland trying to force steals, first force turnovers, and uh, really work on their transition game. But I think, you know, this is a team, one player for me that really stands out that I think has been incredible so far this year is Caleb Wesson. I mean, Maryland fans are familiar with him. He's been around for a little bit, and he's just such an impressive player, um, really the big leader for this team, averaging 14.2 points per game. He's nearly averaging a double-double with, you know, nine rebounds. He's shooting 44.1 from the floor, but 44.2 from the arc. Like, That's a well-balanced offense. Very, very yeah, he's, he's a player that just looks really, really good to me. Have you been able to watch him at all or, you know, watch him in past years at all? Uh, I remember a little bit about him, not too much. Uh, but just looking at him on paper at the moment, I, like you said, he's shooting 
44% from the field and 44% from beyond the arc. Like that's, that's crazy to me. And he's also able to block, you know, he's a good assist. I'm ex- I can't wait. I mean, we've said it probably about 30 times on this episode of the podcast, but that's going to be an incredible game uh, either way in College Park. And and I honestly, you said like turf fans go to the Ohio State game and, and stuff. I think a lot will show up for the Indiana game too, just because, oh, yeah, for sure. just because it's not common. Is, is, uh, is like a don't miss. Like yes. The thing about Caleb Wesson too is like, He's listed on their roster at 6'9", 270. I believe he lost a ton of weight, and he's not still at 270. Or He was, like, over 300 at some point. Like, this is a guy that's big, but has he really, really worked on his body in this offseason to um, become a faster player um, and be more athletic. So that's going to be interesting to see. Um, and so, I mean, you're about to have two games where the league scores 6'9", and guys who have a big frame. So, I mean – that's going to be a big, big test down low. I mean, we've talked about um, what we, the front court depth. And so it's really going to be tested these next uh, two games for sure. Um, and that's going to be really fun to see. Um, but it's, it's going to be a big challenge because with a guy like that, I mean, you can't necessarily have Daryl guard him the entire game just because of his height. So yeah. that'll be interesting. And then, um, you know, you have Dwayne Washington Jr. Uh, with 11.2 points per game who's looked really good at, um, and, you know, DJ Carden as well. Um, he hasn't started any games for them, but he's averaging 10.5 points per game, uh, three rebounds. He leads, he's uh, second on the team in terms of assists. This is, this is going to be a good game. This is a good team. Um, you know, only three players above in double-digit scoring, but it's a good team. It's going to be a good game. Hundred percent. I can't. I I can't say it enough. Cannot wait for this one. So do you think that Maryland can win both of these? No. I think <laughs> I think they drop one of them. I don't know which one, but I think they drop one of them. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they yeah. lost to Indiana and then beat Ohio State. Honestly. But if you do beat a team like Ohio State, it does a lot for this team. For his Maryland team, in terms of confidence, in terms of perception, and things like that. I mean, you you want to start off Big Ten play on the right foot, especially after the loss to Penn State. Yeah, definitely. And and the thing is, it's been such a roller coaster experience so far this season that that's why I'm I wouldn't be surprised if they lost one of the two or or even both. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I mean, like we didn't when you're playing a team like Brian after you've struggled for a little bit, like it's hard for us to see specific changes or see, I guess, kind of take that game into context that much because it's just such like a different level of competition from Indiana um, and Ohio state. So that's going to be a weird game. So we're going to wrap things up here, guys. Stay tuned with all of our coverage this week for Testudo times, big basketball week coming up. Happy holidays and happy new year to everyone. If you are interested in advertising on our Studio Times podcast, feel free to DM us on Twitter or email us and reach out, and we'd love to talk to you. Uh, but in the meantime, guys, have a happy new year, happy holidays, uh, and stay tuned for all of our coverage.